1: There we were on this new track and we didn't know what to expect, but the drivers seemed to like it. I think everyone liked the track, didn't they? I think the engineers loved the track, the drivers loved the track. One of the engineers at Mercedes was saying to me, the circuit really suits Formula One. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get here. Well, it was peculiar because I think we predicted we were were kind of dreading.
0: The prediction, which would be that they'd they'd go down the straight, maybe get a DRS pass and then hold everyone up for the next lap, which didn't happen because we saw because of the combination of corners, people were able to position themselves and wrong foot the guy in front, weren't they? And try and have a have a move and a bit of a bit of curb usage and they could get past. So we saw some good moves all through
1: the race. And um, and it was a I think it was a triumph. Yep, completely agree. I loved every minute of that weekend on and off the racetrack. Los Sales International Circuit. It was great. Welcome to this edition of
0: F1 Nation podcast with me, Damon Hill, and Tom Clarkson.
2: Back to back victories for. Hamilton as he now sees the chequered flag in the distance, powers down the main straight and comes home to win the Qatar Grand Prix. Hamilton on top in Qatar.
1: Fantastic job, guys. Fantastic. Let's keep pushing, man. We can do this.
2: Max Verstappen, though, limiting the damage, started seventh, will come home to finish second and take that fastest lap point as well.
1: But I mate. That was damage limitation and a great recovery. Brilliant opening lap, so uh, well done. Good points today and fastest lap.
2: Oh, that was fun. Fernando Alonso back on the podium in Formula One. Welcome back, Fernando. He comes home to finish third. That is a brilliant result for him and for the Alpine team. Yes. Yes. Get in there, you beauty. Hey, ole, ole.
1: Who is feeling happier after that race? The guy with the faster car or the guy with the points lead at the top of the championship? That's not the same person. Do you know something? I don't think it's a time for
0: happiness just yet. I think the tension is still too intense. If It's too palpable. And they're so close to the finish now. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. So it's it's getting ahead of yourself, isn't it? I think to celebrate. I mean, obviously Lewis was, I thought Lewis was, you know, he won it, but he wasn't leaping up and down in celebration. And I think he's been pretty cool about keeping his emotions in check as has Max Verstappen. He didn't come out of that race thinking, oh, it's a disaster and the championship is slipping away. He, he thought he'd done a good job with what he could do, but the performance advantage was definitely there for Mercedes. So would you rather have the eight-point lead or the Mercedes car? Well, Lewis likes to be the hunter, doesn't he? Um, So he's happy where he is, hunting, but he's got precious few opportunities now to make up the deficit. And we have got a statistical situation now where he could lose the championship to Max. Max could win it in the next round at Saudi Arabia if certain permutations take place. And you've got all the mathematical numbers there, haven't you? You can tell us exactly what has to happen... And whether or not someone has to get the fastest lap. And, you know, you're saying it's not going to happen. Well,
1: Damon, I think it's disingenuous to say it's going to happen at the next race. Because it's not. This is going to the world. It's the first time we've got. We've got all the way down to the last two races. And this is the
0: first time you could actually say if something happens to one of the protagonists, the other guy is going to become world champion. Well, no, actually. No, it could only be Max, couldn't it? It couldn't be Lewis, I think, because he's got the deficit.
1: Yeah. Well, if Lewis finishes... Sixth or worse in Saudi Arabia, Max Verstappen is champion. There you go. That's the only stat we need. There's other there's various other permutations, but that's the headline one. When was the last time he came sixth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not in that rocket yeah, not for <laughs> ages. Crikey he's got his new engine. Don't forget.
1: They, and Toto said they're going to put the spicy engine in. Well, so they're racing two engines at the minute, right? There's one, the fourth engine, which is the, 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 has the less power unit, sorry, yeah, ha, has less power. That's the one that he had at the weekend in Qatar. It's not quite as powerful, but such was the layout of that track that they thought they could save the, the rocket ship for, for Jeddah, which hmm. I've just looked. I've just looked at a, a, a map of the track. I mean... It's scarily quick, Jed. And,
0: and, and it's 27 corners. Yeah,
1: six kilometres. I mean,
0: it's, and long and thin is, is one way of describing it, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's kind not. of hairpin at either end, hairpin at either end, and then just some really fast sweeps. That helicopter is going to be you. going up and down that beach all night long. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, do- oh, dear. It's going to
0: have to do a steep turn at each end as well because they've got a bank corner, haven't they? Not for the helicopter,
1: for the cars. Well, the, but the helicopter's bank- going to be banking around it, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah, They've it's a stunning 12, track, but 12 degree banking. Yeah. We love and a bit of banking now. There's banking in uh, in Jeddah. There's going to be banking in Abu Dhabi. There wasn't much banking, it has to be said, in Qatar, though, was there? No, it's bank bank less, wasn't it? It was yeah. flat as flat as
0: your hat. Yeah. Um, uh, it was, well, there, no, turn one had a bit of banking, and I know that because I got a little trip round in a road car. So I, I went round it. I was. But I love the way it kind of went long right, then long left, then another right, and then a right, right. You know, there was these combinations of corners and you could find yourself slightly out of phase and out of position. Uh, and I, I think that you were saying what well, you were talking to uh, Alex Albman last week. He was saying that on the simulator, he was predicting it'd be very difficult to work out your lines around there. So I think there was probably a lot of time certain drivers worked
1: out the circuit Better than others. The Mercedes was just a very malleable car around that racetrack, wasn't it? And, malleable. and Lewis, do you That's think? Do you, why don't do you think Lewis was better this weekend than he was in Brazil? I think he's been
0: getting better and better. He does this. It seems to me he goes on for kind of like on a sort of semi-engaged period in the in the middle of the season, and then when he needs to finish off the championship, he sort of becomes a completely totally focused. Individual And Lewis carried on
1: where he left off, didn't he?
0: He did, in the same vein, and what a great race that was. And so I think gaining, closing the gap
1: on Rebel, definitely a spring in his step. Well, what about Max, though? I think if we're praising Lewis Hamilton, I think we have to be equally gushing about Max Verstappen because his car wasn't as good uh, in Brazil or Qatar, and yet he maximised everything that he had. I mean, that start he made... On Sunday, from seventh, yeah, he was up to second by what lap four. No, his start was stunning, wasn't
0: it? It was it was a yeah. real racer's start. You know, kept his nose clean as well as much as Lewis had done in in Brazil. Max did the same thing and got himself into contention quite early on. And we thought for a minute, didn't we? We thought for a minute, oops, he's now surprised Mercedes and they've got a bit of a more of a tactical problem. You know, who's going to uh, pit first and the undercut and all that. But Lewis just kept that gap. A uh, bit, too, bit too healthy for him to do anything about. And I think was comfortable with his pace. He didn't have to extract too much. But it's close, isn't it? I mean, you know, you think about four seconds. People saying, oh, he had a four seconds, comfortable four seconds advantage. I'm going to count to four seconds now. So that's um, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004. That's it. That's it for the whole Grand Prix. You know, I know it went up to about eight at some point, but pretty much you can see him in the mirrors, can't you? For the whole race, and you can't make a mistake, so these guys endure they've got incredible concentration and they can endure the, the pressure from beginning to end in a, an hour and a half grand Prix which is
1: which is still amazing and they were light years ahead of everyone else, I thought again at the weekend, which raises a question Damon and I, I was watching the sky coverage at the weekend, and uh, I like this I, I was watching your golf feature. It hmm. sounds like you've got a bit of a slice going on at the minute, by the way. I don't know why. I normally hook them. I mean, so anyway, <laughs> they suddenly started to, yeah, it swung the other way. Um, <laughs> by the way, there. are they genuinely quite good at golf? Because they seem to play They're a lot. G- they talk about it the whole time. It's Carlos yeah. Sainz and Lando Norris. They seem to
0: love it, yeah. They, I think it's a great way to, to unwind. You know, are they them. decent? They're pretty good, actually. They've got good fundamental setup and the backswing looks pretty good. Uh, but as I said, I think Land. I think Lando's still got a bit to learn. He's only just taken up, but but Carlos has been taking lessons from the the top golf coaches in Spain since he was three or something.
1: So he's got a bit of a head start. <laughs> but you said something to them which I thought was interesting, which was when you're at the sharp end, you raise your game. And I came away thinking, why, Damon why why would you do that? Surely you raise your game because you just the cars better and suddenly. For the same amount of effort, you're battling for P1 instead of P7. But then I started thinking of how good Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen have been this year and thought maybe they maybe maybe the champ is right And that these two have raised their game this year. And hence, we've got this huge gulf between the top two and the rest.
0: But why? Maybe. What do you why? mean? Maybe the champ
1: is right. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why do you? Uh, raise Tom, have your you game? been? Have you been at the sharp end of a Formula <laughs> One world championship? That's the thing. <laughs> That's right. That's where it falls down on my side. But why? 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 Why?
0: Okay. So listen. When I was racing, no, no one. I wasn't. I was not picked out as the a, a shooting star uh, of the future in my career on my way up to F1. But then I got into some races with Michael Schumacher, and I was able to hold my own against him occasionally and the only explanation i can have is because he made me dig deeper he made me i had to in order to win you can't come second so i found out more about myself um when you get to the sharp end and it's it's just such a big difference in the motivation between being at the sharp end and and being shooting it out for 10th and and every driver will deny this they'll say oh no i'm giving it a hundred percent every time well when you interview the person at the end of the race, and you hardly saw him from beginning to end, and he'd been going around in 11th and 12th and finally got up to 8th. You know, nobody really cares that much, do they? You know, he does. But when you've got everybody watching what's happening and you're at the
1: front, then I don't know, somehow your performance goes up. So you drove better in 93, 94, 95, 96 than you did in at, Ar- at Arrows and Jordan in 97, 98, 99.
0: I think I responded to the event and the situation, and I'm, and I'm sort of what i was saying to these guys is: I mean, L- no, Lando is 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 a hot child, as is Carlos, and they're and they are fighting to show what they've got. But you know, you ask Lando if he's more focused when he's fourth than when he's um, when he's when he was down at the back. You know, I think that I think there's something happens. You get slightly dejected being. 11th you know it can be kind of
1: demoralizing well here's the thing your words were echoing around in my head as i was listening to toto wolf telling valtteri bottas to overtake the cars in front and hey presto what did he do well that's in my that's exactly my point
0: tom you know if it took just one word from toto and a bit of kind of you know a bit of a crack of the whip and suddenly um you know Valtry was, I would, wouldn't say unleashed, but he certainly made some progress. But, but, I think, you know, it's very easy to get dejected. And you must never get, you know, dispirited. But I think keeping the pressure up on yourself throughout a length of Grand Prix is quite hard because they're also doing a tactical thing. So they're not racing flat out all the time. They are having to um, measure out their tyres and God knows what else. So that's an issue, isn't it, in their defence.
2: Let's talk about Fernando Alonso, who went into this race as the highest driver in the championship without a podium. Fernando's last podium in Formula One was a long, long time ago. Hungary, 2014. It was podium number 97. Well, it's podium number 98, and a one stop strategy that he has made work. Fernando Alonso, back on the podium in Formula One. Welcome back, Fernando. He comes home to finish third. That is is a brilliant result for him and for the Alpine team. Seven years, but finally, finally, we, we got it. I was waiting so long for this, so I'm, I'm happy.
1: One guy who doesn't need any encouragement, I think we'll agree on this, is Fernando Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> Never, no. Just, he just he gives
0: everything all the time, and oh. he's such a, he was such a smart driver. And
1: what wasn't it great to see him get on the podium? Oh, wasn't it just? I So happy for him. Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years of trying
0: <laughs> various teams and a lot of pain and, and tears in the yeah. process. But put him in a car and he is just a machine, isn't he? He just becomes a kind of lap time producing thing. You know, he just keeps pressing on. Damon, I was confident
1: for him. As soon as I heard a driver on Friday compare the low sale circuit to Magello, which they did, I thought, ah, Alpine are going to be strong because they were really good at Mugello last year. Daniel Ricciardo finished fourth. It's the sort of long corners right it's it's, it's it is very
0: interesting, isn't it how certain i mean Fernando came out with a very interesting point, which is we need to understand as as Alpine why we're quick here, you know that's our problem is we it's not that we're not quick it's that we don't understand why we're quick, but Fernando did a great job of of, of eking out
1: his tires as well and and keeping the performance up. Hey, do, do you think, I mean, I, it was it a was third place on merit, I think, probably helped by Bottas getting that puncture and not finishing the race. I think Bottas would have threatened him. Yeah. And without the virtual safety car at the end, do you think Perez would have got him? I don't think he would. Well,
0: they were, ham- they were hampered by their starting positions, weren't they? You know, I um, mean, he was elevated by, by their um, demotion. Why? But he qualified. What was it? Fifth on merit. Yeah, no, they were. He was always in the top ten, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they were. They were looking really good. And and I, you know, it was possibly if he'd managed to get past Pierre Gasly uh, at the start um, and got where he could have, he could have launched himself down the inside. <laughs> Which I wouldn't have put past him, to be
1: honest, but he did behave himself quite well, I thought, in races. He was he a was hard, hard but yeah, fair. But I mean, just so dogged, so determined. And, and, and actually, uh, Ocon helped him as well, I thought, in the way he held up. Well, held up. Ocon said after the race that he reckons he held up Perez by th- for three seconds. And that was ultimately yeah. the gap between... For paying <laughs> yeah. back hungry yeah. fighting like a lion to yeah.
0: uh, to to make his car as wide as possible it was
1: such a joy though To I feel that Fernando Alonso is someone who has whose talent deserves more than two world championships and 32 wins he deserved that podium he's driven brilliantly and better and better and better this year yeah. and he delivered and funnily enough as he left the press conference after the race I said oh alright see you next time and he went i think we'll be seeing you next year <laughs> don't think it's going to happen in or abu but anyway you know. well, he's not so he's not showing
0: much sign of flaking out is he in know, his in his age in his old age how old is kimmy now
1: kimmy's kimmy's 42 isn't it they yeah. both made their debut in uh, 2001 melbourne 2001 they've both funnily enough taken two years out remember kimmy left ferrari hmm. at the end of 2009 And then came back with Lotus in 2012 and Fernando left McLaren in, what was it, end of 18 and then came back this year with with Alpine. And you can't underestimate how difficult that is. If you take a year out
0: of Formula One at all, you know, to, to get yourself rewound up again to the pitch
1: that you need to, it's not easy. Can I just plug this week's Beyond the Grid? Yeah. What is it about? Fernando Fernando's on this week's Beyond the Grid I spoke to him
0: last weekend I should be keen to hear that Tom I don't know how you do it I mean I can never think of the questions to ask You just hope that they talk And Fernando talked actually He wanted to talk And you're very good at listening when they do talk as well Well, I hope so Not like me Probably want to interrupt them all the time But um So yeah It's worth it always I listen to all of them And and if anyone hasn't listened to Tom's Beyond the Grid then why not Because you'll learn an awful lot I've learned so much listening to your podcast And that's enough uh, uh praise and and yeah, otherwise no, I'd don't embarrass don't. you. That's
1: enough. Please stop. Yes, please stop.
2: Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a three percent match, you can get up to hundred and ninety-five dollars for the twenty twenty-three tax year. Oh yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires
0: gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.
3: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of
0: more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them.
1: Software engineers? Found.
2: That project manager I
0: could never seem to hire? And found.
1: World Championship is sort of locked in the Middle East at the minute, isn't it? We've had the Qatar Grand Prix last weekend. Then, of course, we've got the double header in Saudi and Abu Dhabi coming up. And then the start of next year, we've got the Bahrain Test, followed by the Bahrain Grand Prix, and then back to Saudi Arabia again. So who better to have on the show with us today than the presenter of Formula One in the Middle East for NBC Action. Uh, Sabine Sassin is with us. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you.
3: Great to see you too.
1: Now we have just been discussing the top three finishers in Qatar uh, at the weekend. Brilliant performances all round. What did you make of the race?
3: Well, I think it was a it was a very interesting uh, Grand Prix because we didn't know what to expect. I guess no one no one knew what to expect uh, from the circuit. Uh, uh, from both teams, I'm talking about uh, definitely Red Bull and, and Mercedes. Uh, no one like at the beginning of the weekend uh, we noticed that Lewis was a bit not sure of his driving of the car of the speed, etc. But things got better during Saturday as we were, as we saw, and then the qualifying was amazing for for Lewis. And also we we thought that uh, it's going to be very difficult to overtake because that's the first impression that everyone had. And yet, during the race, we saw so many nice battles. It was very, very exciting. Frankly, when I saw the circuit first, uh, I thought ah, drivers might be complaining about it, or not sure about it, or you know, because it's not made for Formula One. But uh, probably we should have more circuits not made for Formula One to make it more exciting.
1: More bike tracks. Yeah, that's what you need. Probably, yeah. <laughs> we've got all the This year's championship, we've got. Qatar. Uh, well, we had Mugello last year. That was a great race as well. That's a sort of bike track, isn't it?
3: Yes, absolutely. It was awesome. I guess uh, we're we're witnessing history, uh, and we're so lucky, especially in our part of the world, to be to be seeing this battle uh, finishing here, uh, either in Jeddah or in Abu Dhabi. So I think uh, we are so lucky. Uh, fans are so lucky, and for F one, it's just awesome. Sabine, how
0: do we how do we assess uh the the desire to have uh Grand Prix there? Is it, I mean because it it could be I got the impression that it's sort of there's a lot of Europeans there and they come to the race, but you know, as of the other people in Qatar and uh and the people who live there generally, are they big F1 fans?
3: Okay, so things are changing a lot lately. Since 2019, Formula One became on free-to-air channel. And this helped a lot in the growth of the sport in the, in the Gulf region particularly, because the Middle East, as you know, is divided into three parts. So you have the Gulf region where you have all these GPs happening, whether it's Bahrain, whether it's Abu Dhabi, uh, Qatar, and Saudi and you have levant region and also you have uh, north uh, north africa so initially and long time ago most of the fans of formula 1 would come from levant or north africa because when i was young for instance i'm lebanese and when, when i was young we used to watch this on free to air tv so the, whole, the michael schumacher era was on free to air tv in, in lebanon so that's why you see older fans who enjoy Formula One so much from this region. Now the Gulf region, and specifically, if if I wanna take KSA for instance, KSA is a very uh, young audience. So they are discovering Formula One now with NBC action, which is free to air. And it's been three years, the whole coverage is different because we're going to races. They're seeing familiar faces during the races. Uh, they're they're getting to know more what's happening behind the scenes, etc. So the, the whole sport is growing uh, much much more in the region. So yes, it's true. Before you would see people uh, going to watch uh, Formula One mostly for the concerts, probably. But this year and the past year, it was past year. Well, there was no no audience, but. Now you see much more people uh, trying to book tickets and asking about Formula One and interested in Formula One from, uh, from the region and not only Europeans and Americans and from all over the world. Can we guess
1: who the most popular drivers are? Or is there, are there some sort of slightly obscure followings?
3: Mercedes and Ferrari both have a huge fan base. So in the region, they love Mercedes because they love the brand. They love the car. You see a lot of Mercedes on the streets and they love Ferrari. They love Ferrari since Schumacher because this is like the icon of the sport. And uh, until now, whenever you ask someone who doesn't know much about Formula One, they tell you Ferrari. And until now, most of the fans I hear on social media are either Ferrari, and I would say mostly Ferrari, and then second uh yeah, mostly Ferraris. So they better do something really nice this weekend because uh, because they have a huge fan base.
1: You say you have a younger audience coming through. So yeah. what about the sort of Max Verstappens and the Lando Norrises, all those sort of younger guys?
3: Yes, yeah, so the younger, so this is something I noticed in um, between Saudis mostly. So younger people love, I think they love how bold Max is. They love his attitude, they love how bold he is, how, uh, how can I describe Max the way he is. So I get, for instance, my co-host uh, during the podcast, he openly supports Max. So everything, <laughs> everything he cares about whenever we discuss uh, any weekend is how Max did and how Red Bull did. So yeah, Max also. Norris, uh, well, I think Norris has, uh, well, I think ladies ask more about Norris. <laughs> this is the type of question I would ask more about Norris, but also McLaren. Let's not forget that McLaren has also a big history in in, in our region. And uh, with the comeback of McLaren uh, recently, it's also getting uh, a little bit of uh, of hype in the region. I think when they go to Saudi, they will see love from absolutely everyone. All drivers will will feel at home.
0: That's good to hear, isn't it, Tom? You know, it's nice to break new ground and get to know people in different parts of the world uh, that, you know, obviously, News coverage covers one side of the story. But when we go somewhere, we get to uh, meet people and see how they live. You know, we've been to places like Baku. You know, we I would never have gone to Baku ordinarily, but I go with the Grand Prix and you see the 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 you know the city and the people and how they live and stuff. And so that's, that's a big part of the attraction of being in F1s. So going to someone like um, the places we go to now in the Middle East is going to be, uh, in the Gulf region, is going to be uh, very interesting. Actually, I used to get a lot of, email, Sabine from the Lebanon when I was racing. Um, it was one of the one of the yeah definitely a big it was a big following. It was obviously getting
1: quite a lot of coverage there. So Sabine, when Damon rocks up in Saudi, is there a big following for the Golden Oldies? Come on, <laughs> is he going to be mobbed? Yeah. <laughs> is he going to be mobbed? You just, you just said I- it's
0: a very young audience, <laughs> Tom.
3: Okay, so let's and just so that we don't make it general. In Saudi, there are some real hardcore fans. What I'm trying to tell you is... And there's, there's a culture, there is a very nice culture for motorsports, especially that the promoter and uh, the minister of uh, sport, uh, both are into uh, GT3 and motorsports. So there's this nice culture of motorsport in general. But uh, what I'm trying to tell you is most of the population is young. So this young population have been watching Formula One for the past few years on NBC Action, probably from Netflix also. It helped. So uh, both are... Discovering and asking questions, non-stop questions about Formula One on social media, and basically their big stars are the new stars, you know. But Damon will will make sure there's a big hype around you. I promise.
0: Listen, I, I've I've had so have had a lot. I've had enough hype for one lifetime. I'm very happy with where I am. <laughs> but um, it, it's nice. It's nice to it, it's nice to see that you know a new wave of people. Getting into the sport for the reasons that they uh, they like it as it is today because it has changed gradually over time. I think the new the new crew of drivers are much more adept at you know, selling themselves and letting everyone know and letting, letting everyone know in, uh, what they're up to and what their hobbies are and stuff. And I think this is through social media. It's completely changed the the way drivers express themselves and live their lives. So. And that appeals to young people. It's Absolutely,
3: good. there, are stars. You mentioned Baku and uh, Baku is the same for me. So the first time I went to Baku in 2019, I didn't know what to expect. And I was positively surprised with how beautiful the city is with the mix of old town and new town. And I think F1 is an amazing promotion or an amazing add to any uh, country in the world. So this is what Jeddah will be getting out of hosting Formula One. So everyone visiting will be probably will be surprised and positively surprised to discover the city, the beauty in the city, the people, the culture, the old city and the new city. So it's I think it's a win-win uh, situation for for both.
1: Sabine, when did you last go to the track? In Jeddah, what have we got coming our way? Is it finished? I know a lot of people are going to ask: yes. Is it finished? Is it? Because I've seen some wonderful photos, but
3: yes, did you see the photos yesterday and the video? So yes, it's finished. What's the most impressive thing about this whole thing is the time frame: eight months to finish uh, such a circuit. It was so difficult, I think, for everyone. I had uh, Karsten Tilke as uh, a guest, and he told me yes we built so many we did, we had so many projects but the time frame of this project is so challenging so challenging and this is what everyone was talking about and everyone was betting against it you know a lot of people was were saying ah it will not finish but uh, yesterday it was nicely finished and done and uh, next week i guess we're all going to be there uh, doing our things like we usually do so
1: and and what about the climate what do we need to
3: pack it's perfect so December is like the perfect weather no I'm serious I usually love warmer weather so I'm not gonna lie to you but uh, the weather is really good so it would be uh, I would say a normal summer day for you guys uh, during uh, during the day probably in the evening you might need a little sweater but you you guys don't need the sweater I, I might think <laughs> you are used to, <laughs> you are used to much colder weather than this
0: Is it gonna rain? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, any chance of that?
3: Sometimes it does rain in December. Sometimes it does rain in December. Very few times it does, frankly. So you never know. But it's very occasional and it can happen. Expect some rain. No, don't expect. I'm joking. But if you you have an umbrella, bring it. Why not?
0: (laughs) No, I'm not bringing an umbrella for Saudi Arabia. I'm (laughs) definitely
1: <laughs> a ridiculous idea. I might bring my swimmers. But
0: that's- <laughs> I, I think Natalie was interested in the scuba diving, wasn't she? So at some point, apparently the Red Sea is very good for for that kind of thing.
3: Yes, Red Sea is known for for it's uh, like it's the perfect place for scuba diving. I have friends who are going actually planning also a trip soon uh, to Jeddah because apparently it's the new thing. You know, the Red Sea in different parts of the world. So if you go to Egypt you'll see a lot of people. It's very commercial, uh, very, um, you'll have too many tourists there. But now in Jeddah, I think because it's new what's happening. So uh, newly, a lot of uh, scuba divers are discovering this area and going to to see the beautiful creatures there. It's it's beautiful, beautiful.
0: Sabine, can it, can we just touch on, um, it'd be interesting to get your take on this because clearly there are some people who are concerned about us traveling to places that are um it's quite a bit different to our culture um and saudi has not been an open country for very long has it really i mean it's in it, this is a big step for them isn't it what's the what's the reaction in the region to to saudi doing this is this a sign that things are uh are changing slowly in 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 saudi arabia
3: uh well first i don't see any concern to to the saudi i personally don't find any concern to visit any place in the world I think when you visit any new place you just discover the people because when you're in your screen or at home just reading some random news about any country in the world you might develop any uh, perception of this place without visiting it but when you visit a place it's completely different because you get to see what's inside you get to meet people people just like you and me and see what they're doing and what's happening right now in Jeddah is Incredible change is happening in an incredible way, and everyone who's going is actually impressed with what's happening. Uh, Michael Massey was was uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we spoke.
1: I listened to that podcast, it was very good.
3: I uh, thank you. I, I'm happy you enjoyed it. Uh, so Michael is visiting several times, and uh, we we chatted a bit, like even outside the podcast, about. The, the impressive progress that's happening in Saudi, in general, Riyadh apparently also massive change. Massive. I I see pictures and videos, and I, you cannot believe it's it's Riyadh, and the, the same is happening in Jeddah. So I think you guys will be positively positively surprised.
0: Yeah, the track we're going to discover. I think it's going to be a big challenge by the looks of things. It's uh, I'm twenty seven corners long. Yes, and. Super fast as well, huh?
3: Yes, it's uh, the fastest street circuit in the world. Uh, Twenty-seven corners, as you said. So the most uh, curved, let's say. uh Three DRS zones. Uh, also, yeah. So fastest in the world. Tallest uh, street circuit in the world as well. And it's a night race.
1: Hang on, speed. What do you mean by the tallest? So
3: yes, in terms of length.
0: The length. length. The length. Oh yeah. Longest. If we put it, if we put it on end, it would be
1: the, also the tallest.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> I remember the Valencia Street Circuit. That wasn't a great racetrack. This looks like a great racetrack. Well, they always said that
0: Valencia wasn't a great track, but it actually produced some great races. It did. There was some. It wasn't a great track as such, but it was. I have seen remember there a couple of good ones. I th- I remember Valencia just being ninety degree corners. Yeah, I, I always have this theory about like Canada. You'd never go and design a track like that now but actually produces some of the best races.
3: Yes, exactly. So, so it's, uh, it's always about uh, the outcome, I guess. But I would love to ask you, what did you think of, of uh, the track? So is it like, is it a place you'd like to 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 try?
0: Yeah, I, I'm a bit worried about the speed. I mean, there's not much runoff. Uh, and You know, they've got the safer barriers, haven't they, they're using, like they do in Indianapolis, but um, it's going to be very high speed and not much runoff. So high risk, high jeopardy. Um, so that always gets your attention as a racing driver.
3: Yeah, no room for a mistake.
1: I feel that we should um, start talking about the championship and all the different permutations, not just at the front, but also what's happening behind. Max or Lewis, who's your money on, Sabine?
3: You know how many times I get asked this question, especially recently. Usually I would tell you uh, who's my money on, but this time it's so close, so close. I think, after what I saw yesterday, okay. Uh, I think, especially with Lewis old engine and Brazil was kind of incredible, I will put my money on Lewis this time. Well, I would love to ask you guys, do you think this circuit, Jeddah, will suit Mercedes more or Red Bull more?
0: No, I think it's a, it's a very difficult one to judge because it's, it's such an unusual looking track. Um, and mm. I compared it to possibly like Baku um, and I was told off um, by by Ross Braun, who who said, no, no, it's not like that at all. It's it's a completely different type of track. It's got bank corners and stuff. And it's some of the sweeps are looking. I look quite long. So I'm trying to reckon my brains. I think, you know, it could be across between something like Singapore and, um, and and Baku. What do you think, Tom? I think
1: it's fast enough to start comparing it with a permanent racetrack. Right. Like what? Monza? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Not silverstone. <laughs> it's quite study. difficult when you're just looking at a map. It's quite difficult, isn't it? Until you get there. But I think it's going to be a very high average speed. I think grunt is going to be really important, and I think that immediately makes me want to side with Lewis Hamilton because I think he's going to use his latest engine when he gets there. Power unit, sorry, Damon. and mm. uh, and I think he's going to be. Very strong, but equally, equally, we thought Mercedes were going to dominate, or I did, thought Mercedes were going to dominate in Austin and they got beat. Yeah, we can't, we cannot predict this, this championship at
0: all. Uh, the form it's and also the gaps, the, the margins are quite tiny, nearly always, aren't they? I mean, you know, three tenths is a big difference. I know that Lewis put it on pole by nearly four tenths or something uh, in Qatar, but that's an unusually big uh, differentiator,
1: isn't it? So, And there will be jeopardy. There will be jeopardy in Jeddah as well because it's a street track. The walls are close. I'm not saying that Max or Lewis will crash necessarily, but I would imagine there'll be yellow flags caused by other people during qualifying, during the race. There will be safety cars. And how that all falls could have a huge influence on strategy, on grid positions. Well, I think it's great that nobody knows where
0: they're going. This is a completely unknown place, unknown track, and and it's At that crucial point in the championship. You know, this is going to be so important for the championship, this race coming up.
1: Other teams that we haven't talked about so far on this pod. The Ferrari and McLaren battle. I thought both teams had quiet weekends in Qatar. Ferrari coming home 7th and 8th. Sainz, your golfing partner, Sainz, ahead of Leclerc. With Norris in ninth And Daniel Ricciardo out of the points. Daniel Ricciardo... Lander had the puncture
0: thing, didn't he? So that he, he lost a good position that could have been much better than could have Could have been, yeah.
1: could have, would have, should have. And Daniel Ricciardo had this very bizarre uh, problem where he was having to fuel save half a... He, he, had, he said half a kilometre per lap. It was about two seconds a lap from very early on in the race because mm. there was some software glitch. And about halfway through the race, they suddenly realised, oh, no, it's all an error. You've got enough fuel off you go again but that's a bit annoying isn't it
0: when (laughs) you're being asked to go slower and slower and slower, and eventually they they say no no you can go faster again now um but you'd you'd wish you'd known that
1: earlier i feel very sorry for mclaren actually they've they've had good pace over these last three races and yet i think they've come away with what four points
3: yeah only four points the thing is also uh Uh, Seidel was was a guest, and I asked him this question early on, so a few weeks back, if he feels confident that they would keep their third position because this is where they were. And then he had a very positive uh, attitude and very, you know, uh, positive answer. And then, since uh, the 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 guys keep on. I wouldn't say. I mean, losing their fight against Ferrari since because of that Ferrari engine change at some point. So yes, uh, unfortunately, the gap is getting bigger and bigger. And I guess I don't know. Do you think, guys, during the last two races, McLaren would be able to do anything against Ferrari?
0: Mm, I think I think they've got a struggle now, haven't they? To to to. Uh, to do anything about Ferrari, I think that Ferrari seemed to have kind of just inched a, a, a enough ahead. And Le- Charles's actual result or his qualifying was was artificially bad, I think, in Qatar because he'd done he found he had got a damaged tub,
1: hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Damien, he did, but he damaged it on his first run in Q one. No, <laughs> right, you're so it's his fault. <laughs> but he
0: fixed it, and then the car was quicker again. But not, yeah. but, but but the damage was done. But they're kind of 39 and a
1: half points. McLaren are behind Ferrari now, so but, I think that looks it's going to take mm. a big upset for that to change. So Ferrari P3, McLaren P4, Alpine have now got 25 points on Alpha Tauri in sixth. So that looks like do you know the battles? It's for first and second, forget the rest. That's what we've just concluded. It's um eight points between. Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton at the top of the drivers and five points between Mercedes and Red Bull. There we go. That's just look at that. That's all we need to focus on. That's what that's what
0: we will. That's what most people will focus on, Tom. Although, of course, we do love to see all the other stuff because actually there was a lot of entertainment in Qatar that went through the overtaking of are these these minor places, I could say minor, but I you know I understand they're important to to the teams. But they there was some good dicing, I thought, and good overtaking and a bit of wheel to wheel action at Qatar in the midfield, which you clearly don't get quite as much of that at the front. You know, it's it's much more nuanced
1: at the front, isn't it? And Aston had a good weekend in Qatar, didn't they? With Lance Stroll in sixth and Vettel getting that last point. In 10th as well again it was
0: odd it was odd to see how cars performed better in the race than they did in qualifying um, in Qatar but
1: uh, and unless you were driving an alpha
0: tower exactly
3: my thoughts exactly unfortunately
0: yeah but that's what they, I mean yeah all in all it's uh, it's a pretty good setup for for the for first inaugural Jeddah Grand Prix how many people do you think are going to fly in uh, Sabine to to this event from the region? Is there going to be a lot of influx from, from most sport fans?
3: Yes, I guess a big, big majority will be from, from Saudi because uh, Saudi fans are flying from, you know, everywhere in Saudi to Jeddah to participate in this event. And also from the region, yes. So definitely from here, from UAE, from uh, from uh, Bahrain and Oman, uh, from uh, the Levant area also. So yeah, I guess from, from the whole region, everyone wants to see what this uh, Jeddah Grand Prix is all about.
1: Well, it's going to be very exciting. And thank you so much for your time, Sabine. And I look forward to seeing you next week.
3: Okay, guys. Thank you
1: so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. It's one of my favorite bits of the show and i feel like we haven't had an ask damon on f1 nation for quite a while there's quite a backlog of questions for you are you ready i'm ready i'm ready tom come on hit me
2: (laughs) hi damon hi tc love the show guys my name is cy cy ferguson from uh, los angeles california hey damon i wanted to ask you in your opinion who is the most Unappreciated multi world champion. In my case, I think it's Alan Prost because everybody
0: fanfares over Senna, (laughs) but that's my take. What do you think? Hi, Cy. I love the way you say, hi, TC, because that sounds like a line from Top Cat. Do you remember that? It was a guy, it was Benny, wasn't it? You go, hi, TC. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so, um, yes, Cy, it's a good question. I was thinking either Jack Brabham, uh, oh, I was going to say Nicky, Nicky Lauder. That's what came into my mind as well. I mean, it, this was the thing that grated with him a little bit in the in the Hunt um, versus Lauder film was that uh, you know his it was it was about the crazy charismatic driver and and Nicky kind of felt like he was a little bit overlooked by by that, and he did always come across as being very calculating and methodical, but.
1: He was a very fast driver and he was oh, a very intelligent driver. Brilliantly fast, brilliantly intelligent. And anyone who beat the 1984 spec Alain Prost, I think that's when Prost was, was at his absolute peak. And to to beat him in his penultimate year of Formula One. Yeah.
0: Outsmarted him. Uh, wh- yeah. which Brilliant. What about PK? Was Piquet
1: underappreciated? That's a good shout, actually, Dan. That's a good shout. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, what he won a couple for Brabham, and then Uh, one in a Williams. There can't be that many at multiple champions (laughs) out there. Hang on. (laughs) Yes, we're going to go through the list here, aren't we? Uh, And you have the final say because this is your bit of the show. Oh no!
0: Oh no! Oh god! So it has to be multiple champions. Oh, Sebastian Vettel. He's a multiple world champion. I think it could be Sebastian Vettel. Why do you think he's underappreciated? I don't know. I think it was all a bit too much too soon. And he didn't have an era. I mean, there was a very short span where he was dominating, wasn't it? For a guy who's won four titles, it all came along in a bit of a rush, like, you know, buses. Ah, another good shout. PK, OK, go on then. PK
1: or Vettel, who is it? OK, let's go PK. I think we need to appreciate PK a bit more. Why don't we appreciate PK? I do. 81, 83, 87, were his championships. I think our judgment is slightly affected by how long the driver continues after his last world championship. My view of PK, you know, he was brilliant in that Brabham, and Nigel Mansell was a great racing driver, and he beat Nigel Mansell to the mm. 1987. On well,
0: consistency, on his uncons- uh, consistent because those days they didn't drop the scores, did they? Do you remember? That's the that's the story about mm. that. But then, as he revealed years later. He was driving most of that season with concussion, and he couldn't because he had that massive shunt at uh, Imola, and he couldn't. He it did something with his sleep patterns, so he yeah. he he kept all that quiet. Um, he's a difficult character, I think, sometimes. B.K. But still, to win three titles, he must have. You know, he was fast, and he was good at what he did.
1: Yeah, and my view of him is muddied by the Lotus years where he was, wasn't particularly quick and then he goes to Benetton and falls out with Flavio and then Schumacher comes in and shows him the way home at those last few races in 91. But in his pomp, Pete, I, if you're going PK, I'm supporting you every step of the way, champ. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, we've so we've, we've done,
0: Si, and you've got a backlog of questions, so I think we need another one. Hi, Damon.
1: This is Paul from Louisiana, USA. My question is... The two drivers we have on the grid right now that are sons of famous racing drivers in Max Verstappen and Mick Schumacher. Do you think they're experiencing any extra stress and expectations on them having famous fathers? Did you yourself experience any extra expectations on you being the son of a famous racing driver yourself? Anyway, keep up the good, great podcast. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was the son of, and, uh, when I crossed the line in 96 to win the championship, then Murray Walker introduced me as son of um, the, the famous racing driver Graham Hill. And uh, you can't get away from it. That is that is a fact of of our careers. You know, if you follow in the father's footsteps and career wise, then it's going to be mentioned, isn't it? And uh, my dad later le- left quite a big legacy, M- not as big as Mick's dad. Of course, he's only got a seven times, you know, seven titles to compare himself to. But Max is a little bit like uh, Jack Villeneuve in that Jack's dad did never win the world title, um, but obviously it was a very famous racing driver. Jos has got had a huge following, but didn't win the title. So, and and Max hasn't won the title yet either, but he's won a lot of Grand Prix. So you could say that Max has sort of superseded his dad's career record. And Nico Rosberg kind of won more Grand Prix than his dad and equaled him on titles I won more Grand Prix than my dad but I didn't equal him on titles people do expect they want to know whether or not it's passed on somehow to, to uh, second generations I mean it's of interest but ultimately you will be judged by how good you are people will not put you in a car just because you got a, f- a famous name There you go, Paul. Well, listen, thanks very much for those questions. I know that there's a bigger backlog than we can manage to get through, but have a go anyway yourself. If you've got something, some burning question you want to put to me, to askdamonhill at gmail.com. And if it's a voice note, uh, we can play it out on the show and have a go at answering it. And we'll look forward to more of them because we're going to be getting some seriously
1: interesting questions, I expect, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Well, we've had a good week. And then we've got one week off, and then uh, back out to Saudi. Can't wait! And thank you to Sabine as well. It's great to get her thoughts on uh, what we got coming our way in Jeddah. It was the answer is lots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very very fast racetrack. All right, Damien. Look, it's been uh, great catching up. I feel we've seen a lot of each other recently. It's been it's been fab. Have a good week, and I think this is where we say goodbye. F1 Nation is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom
0: Studios. Adios.